This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. I have been very much looking forward to today's conversation, where we will discuss the True Athlete Project, which aims to work towards a more compassionate world through sport. As they have stated, sport can provide life-changing moments of joy, freedom, and meaning. But too often, sport fails to live up to its potential, causing harm and perpetuating injustice. People at the True Athlete Project are not satisfied with the status quo and are working in various ways towards making a positive difference in the world of sport. My guest today is Lawrence Halstead, who is a two-time Olympian, member of the True Athlete Project team and performance director at the Danish Fencing Federation. Welcome to the podcast, Lawrence. Thank you so much, Nora. That was a lovely introduction to to TAP. Very well summarized. Yeah, and... I think when we first got in touch and started discussing, we saw that we have such a many ways overlapping vision and, and we are both concerned, or the whole team at your True Athlete Project, so concerned about various things in sport that are going on and the culture of sport and, and really striving to figure out what are some of the ways to make a positive difference. And I think for the listeners, it would be really interesting and important first to start out with you had a very exceptional journey in sport yourself and some of those experiences that led you to then start working in in this area and becoming an activist if that's a good way to frame it so yeah maybe just first share a little bit of your own journey and how you have come to where you are today yeah absolutely I wonder how exceptional my my journey has been actually I think I mean, it's it's been very special to get kind of be a full time athlete and to be able to get to the Olympics. But I wonder if most athletes that do kind of have a career that spans quite a long time and and goes to the, those lengths, whether they inevitably have many of the same kind of ups and downs and transformative experiences. So I would I would guess so that pretty much that's that's just part and parcel of of an athlete's journey at that level. Um, so where to start? I guess um, I was I grew up and born into a fencing family. Both my parents were Olympic fencers, um, and so it was kind of in the blood. And they were hugely supportive, um, and not the not the overbearing parent types. But they did they did help me to and kind of support me with everything I wanted to do in the sport and in other sports. Um, I was very lucky that I mean luck is just a theme that I feel runs through my sporting career. I was uh, incredibly lucky that uh, that we won the bid for the Olympics uh, in London uh, at 
just before I graduated from university. So for the first time ever in the UK, there was an opportunity to be a full-time fencer. It was, that was never a, a thing before. And as we know, it's so these days in professionalized sport across the board, it's so important to be able to be, to, to train full-time. That, that really is what kind of gave us, my, me and my teammates, the opportunity to, to reach those levels that we did. In terms of kind of the transformative elements and which led me to the, the True Athlete Project and this kind of work that I do, I had the, the first one that I really look back onto, I, I had a very kind of quite a standard experience as a junior and as a, as a, young, as a young athlete being really kind of anxious, nervous, quite aggressive in my attitude, um, really hard on myself exceptionally kind of disappointed almost devastated every time I lost a match uh, and that continued up until I was 24 the last time I cried after a, after losing in a competition I was 24 in a senior world cup event after a senior world cup event um, and that kind of continued I'd been working I'd worked a little bit with sports psychologists but not really in any depth until the Olympic year in 2012 and that was the first really kind of huge moment um, in my sporting career. It was quite late. I was already 28 at the time. But I, I broke my wrist on my sword arm in January of 2012. And we'd, we'd already qualified through the quota places for the Olympics. And my team, I was, I was kind of a dead set for being in the team. And then I broke my wrist and that kind of set off on a path, a real emotional roller coaster, probably the darkest, certainly the darkest time of my sporting career. Um, just full of kind of doubt and worry and resentment towards my teammates. I couldn't train for four months. I had two surgeries in my wrist. I could only do physical training. And, and I also started working with a sports psychologist, a wonderful psych called Katie Warriner. And that was an experience that kind of that turned on, on its head my approach to, to performance. And it, we, we did a lot of work kind of on how to deal with this injury and how to get through it the best I could based on my values and how I wanted to be in the world and what kind of teammate I wanted to be, um, whether I made the team or not. And, and so I kind of threw quite intense work over an, over a number of months leading up to those Olympics. I managed it. It, it was really tough and it was quite, introspective work i managed to to get to a place that i was uh i was being able, i could be that supportive teammate to my team i i got selected in the end i managed to get back into shape just in time to be selected for the team event but not for the individual event that i was i'd always been hoping for um but i and then i ended up kind of with this incredible experience of stepping onto the the piste we call it in fencing in the london olympics just with the stadium kind of just so many of my friends and family in the stadium and my heart pounding through my chest and just being able to bring the best of my kind of one of my best performances. I had a great performance day that day. Um, and it was based on this work that I'd done with, with Katie, um, quite deep work on myself and my values. And, um, but it led, it was about kind of how I wanted to be in the world, but it also kind of fed into what kind of performance, like how I could, how I wanted to perform. So that was a just a revelatory moment about the the power and kind of um, impact that this kind of work can have. And that I, in one sense, I was 
it was just, I felt it was a shame that I didn't do this much earlier in my career. One of the things, for example, talking about compassion um, in athlete development, one of the things that Katie kind of did for me that I hadn't seemed simple, but had a huge kind of profound effect. She she told me that I didn't have to suffer after losing matches, and that I could give everything just give everything I wanted to the match and try my absolute best. But if it didn't go my way, I didn't have to be devastated. And it was based on a bit of other work about kind of, well, if you do give your best, then that's all you can do, that kind of thing. It, it wasn't just one sentence that changed everything. But I think it was the first time that I ever heard that or heard it from somebody that I was really listening to. Maybe my parents told me back then. But um, it just turned, I mean, that that in itself turned my it turned so much of of what i'd kind of my attitude on its head and i didn't have to fear that loss that kind of that backlash that would come if i lost and how bad i would feel for days or a week afterwards and i realized that i could give everything to a performance and if i lost i lost and just kind of move on and not and just take it on its take it in its, in my stride so that was just an example of what I saw again, that kind of the power of a compassionate and a self-compassionate approach, which I thought, and now looking back and now, I mean, seeing in my, in all of my roles, that's a very rare kind of approach for athletes to be self-compassionate. They're far more likely to, to be self-critical, very self-critical, kind of very harsh on themselves. And, um, and that's also the traditional culture of sport is athletes who just striving and never satisfied with what what they've given always wanting to be better and, and really being mm. their own harshest critic yeah we have so much work on perfectionism in sports psychology and and so on so certainly yeah i i hear what you say mm. yeah so that was that was one that, that was kind of one key moment and then after after that i took i mean i took a actually took a couple of years off from fencing moved to Denmark in the in the meantime um, and my return to fencing to prepare to kind of try and qualify for the Rio Olympics was in was with this new kind of found approach that was much more based on the love of sport and performance and and, and understanding what I loved about it what I what I appreciate about myself when I was doing it and far less about the the kind of those that fear of of loss or fear of not being good enough yeah and can you a little bit what are those things that that you found out about what you love about your sport well if we extend on that a bit yeah yeah if this is an amazing just simple exercise that i recommend for all athletes to do is just to just sit down and describe what they love about their sport and doing their sport because it can you can lose touch with it so when i did that exercise um For example, one of the things I came up with is I, I love how complex fencing is. It's a it's a massively complex physical and mental tactical game, and it's such a challenge. You're just constantly you're just challenged on so many levels in at at all, at all times, and so that I could connect that to when things were when things were tough. When I was in a match that was super tough, I was and it was really kind of and uncomfortable I was losing badly or I'd started badly or it was a really tense like sudden death match I could just just recall that ah remember I love that's what I love about this sport is that it's so complex it's such a challenge it pushes me to my limit and 
certainly just with that kind of change of mindset you can switch from being like this threat state to a to a challenge oriented orientated state and remember well i wouldn't love it if it wasn't tough and this is tough so i this is what i love about it so that's mm-hmm. just just one example mm-hmm. great yeah Yeah, and your story continues. So let's jump back <laughs> into that. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it continued, and I, I had a, I approached Rio with a very different mindset. We had a, a team that we were really, we felt were really strong, and, um, and we we had quite, a, we had a great a, a great time together. We were living in different places actually, but we we came together and and had a, really had a strong unit. But it was this kind of new, newfound approach to focusing on on the process of the performance far more than on the results, which I've spent my entire life kind of way too focused on the result, and bringing my process, my focus to the process, which was helped by another psychologist in our in our team, Danielle. Um, I found a new. I found I was fencing. I was performing better and freer than than ever before. Um, And with every bit as much kind of, as I said, kind of giving everything to the match, but without that negative side on the other side, um, if it didn't go to plan. And so again, it, it was kind of opening my eyes to some new techniques for how to how to help that happen. Um, but at the same time, I realized I knew I was kind of I was kind of reaching the end of my career. I, would, I knew I was going to retire after Rio, and I was starting to think a bit more about what it all meant and what the the valuable parts of it were and that kind of process of, of retiring of slowly preparing for retirement kind of opened up some some new avenues to think about a conversation with my wife about the the impact of the olympics that i'd never considered and kind of that there is is not just a, a wonderful rosy joyous sporting event that there are actually negative side effects It's uh, it started my my thinking on this subject of kind of what sport having both what sport could be, but also kind of seeing the negative effects of sport. And I wrote a couple of articles in the. I, I started. I wrote one article in the Guardian, which which was picked up by Sam, who's the CEO of the Triathlete Project, and he reached out. This was just before Rio, and um, and asked if I would be interested. Showed me what tap was about and sam's an amazing kind of he's a bit of a visionary and it's is a great kind of connector of people to his vision so it was very quickly that i got involved in in tap and at the same time I, so I, after retiring i kind of moved into both tap and my my professional role as a as performance director of danish fencing and the in those in both those roles i had this great opportunity to to impact athlete development and coach development in in line with these kind of lessons that I've learned along the way that, that there has to be that there should be far more focus on the process and not the outcome and that that's that's better for both the result but also for the person for the just the enjoyment of the experience um, and just thinking a bit more a bit wider about what the what the value of this journey is and was and what what I valued about these This kind of decade is well, decade as a full-time athlete, but a life spent in sport, and it's and it definitely wasn't the. I mean, the results are lovely to to think back on every now and then, but the things I really took to heart that I took with me were were those with the experiences, with the with the relationships that I'd built, and the the kind of experiences of other cultures, and um, the 
the set the kind of personal development the, the mindfulness journey that i'd been on since since i was a, kind of in my early 20s these things were like those developmental aspects were the things that i really took i, I realized were, were meaningful were, were really valuable and the results they can come and go and i had friends who were multiple world champion and olympic champions and others who didn't get anywhere near as long as as far as that and everyone kind of finished their career a little bit unsatisfied with what they'd achieved and so that kind of tweaked in me well what what was what is the point if the, if the results are always going to be a little bit unsatisfying then they're, they're nicer to get good results for sure but it was it wasn't a it wasn't correlated with those who felt that they had really meaningful careers the results and how how far they'd achieved not at all um and then i had this one one friend that one a very kind of vivid story of a friend who'd been right at the top of the game at the top of the world rankings for so many years but had just not managed to qualify for an olympics and multiple times two or three times he was just there and then didn't manage it and he just strove he'd striven, striven for so long to make it and then he he ended up finally qualifying for the london olympic or was it the beijing olympics perhaps it was beijing and he'd finally made it and then he lost his first match against somebody he thought he should have won against and i spoke to him after that and he was so devastated by it he said he'd just rather forget his whole olympic experience and i thought you you've gone gone after this all your life it's been the thing the dream that you go for and then it ends up being something you'd rather forget what what does that say about the meaning of this journey yeah those are really powerful stories and we will get into exploring the true athlete project in in more detail certainly but before i forget i just wanted to go back to that you mentioned that you were really thinking about the broader impact of sport during the time of the Rio Olympics, and you have this article in The Guardian. I will link it to our show notes. But so, for example, you are raising these issues that for local communities, for example, in Rio, those Olympics can have like really negative effects mm. on their lives. And, and at the moment, there's a lot of discussion about the human rights issues in China and some groups are calling for this full-blown boycotts of the Winter Olympics in Beijing in, in 22. And really these questions about the ethics of the Olympic Games are were in the media at that time and you were lifting those things in the media and these discussions are certainly ongoing. So how do you feel, for example, when, when looking at these uh, these debates these days? Yeah, well, it's not it's not a new thing it wasn't new before rio i mean every almost every olympics for as long as we can remember have had these kind of political elements to them these really you know quite significant very significant negative downsides and i mean right in front of us now this kind of debate is raging about the tokyo olympics and how most of japan don't want them don't want it to go ahead but Mm, it looks like it will go ahead um and how do we the, the ethical kind of dilemma around the athletes and, and their kind of health and safety um yeah what do i th- what do i think about it i mean it's they, they just sound kind of it, this brings it to shut so it brings what 
what I, my my opinion and Tap's opinion to such a sharp kind of point. It's so kind of so obvious here, and I don't know why it wasn't more obvious to me before that conversation I had with my wife. It was her that opened my eyes to this, but I was so in the bubble of kind of being from an Olympic family and just everything about the Olympics was great. I just uh, didn't see it or didn't choose to see it, but. The, the Olympics the Olympics itself is this incredible inspirational thing that the, almost the entire world turns its attention to. Um, and now the Paralympics has grown in, in stature as well. It's amazing, this amazing kind of summer of sport. And that's juxtaposed with just some devastating side effects for the local communities, for the natural environments, for, I mean, for the economies. And that when I wrote about Rio, that was just the, the Olympics, as it always does now, it ballooned in costs, which always gets kind of taken up by the by the community, by the, the host nation, host city. At a time, just at kind of devastating economic um, crisis for, for Brazil. So there was just this, it was just so clear that this country could not afford to run it. And yet, and it was going ahead. And I mean... There's just such, such significant downsides, and it can't. I, I, I'm not a. I'm not. I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm down. I'm against the Olympics because I actually think, just like the sport, they can do such incredible good. They have such incredible power, but I just can't. I can't stomach that they are. They could. They do that alongside such kind of incredible negative effects as well so i just think we have to find a way especially the olympics which is and kind of has the olympic kind of charter the olympic spirit which is so noble we have to be have to find a way to to hold an olympics in a socially morally ethically responsible way and i mean athletes and sport organizations are are in difficult situations like one option is really to boycott the games, but that also is like a difficult thing for athletes, of course, to do. And yeah, so, I mean, you you chose to write about these things, for example, in The Guardian and, and just raise awareness of those things. So that's certainly one way that you can work towards addressing these issues. If I just throw it at you, what if you thought of actually boycotting the Olympics? Did, did, did you ever get into um, that state of mind? I didn't get I didn't get close to it. I mean, it came. It was in my consciousness that that's a that's an option, but I no. And I I think it's such a it's an incredibly difficult decision to make. I mean, I have immense respect for athletes who do that because mm-hmm. of how much they've invested over such a long time to get to that position. Yeah. Um, so it's such a complex issue to to boycott and and for nation, national national. Olympic associations to boycott is a huge issue because these athletes, uh, yeah, that's these athletes have worked for so long for that. So, mm. yeah, mm. yeah. Let's then move into this true athlete project. So you already started talking a little bit about um, how you started getting involved uh, with their work, and I mentioned a few things about. Um, working towards a more compassionate world through sport. That is the aim of this organization. So maybe you just provide a very brief overview of how this project got started and what are those values and, and the vision of this project? Yeah, so it, it is the 
the vision um, of Sam, the C, the founder and CEO. So back in 2014-15, he was uh, living in America. He'd gone, he'd moved over on a tennis scholarship, playing Division One tennis, but had had a really difficult time with with lots of injuries and surgeries and uh, mental health concerns around that as well. And his tennis dream couldn't couldn't wouldn't wasn't to be. So he moved into a to becoming an, in charge of a, an athletic program in a school um, and created a really holistic program for the kids there and then got a chance to go and see, go and present the program at the Muhammad Ali Center in Tennessee where it was, the, the, this, they have this incredible forum on uh, the forum for athletes and social change. Um, so he was listening to all these amazing kind of sport and social change initiatives and being really inspired, but he noticed that there were no, professional athletes there and there, that was the kind of thing missing from this piece was there's sport for change and then there's performance sport but really those people who spend their lives in they dedicate their lives and passion to sport they're the athletes and coaches and why should they why would they be separated from from sport as social change it's it didn't really make sense to him so he he envisaged this this charity that kind of showed where performance sport and, and Actually, I mean, sport at all levels, but especially kind of performance athletes and coaches, that they can be drivers of social change and not just by turning up and doing a photo opportunity with some kids and then leaving, but by kind of integrating what they what they do in their daily life and their approach to sport um, into kind of becoming and envisages this idea of the true athlete who trains mind and body to to improve their own mental well-being and health and also to make a difference a positive difference to their community um, and as i said before he's a he's a bit of a master connector so he drew together the quite an amazing group of people uh, coaches and athletes and mindfulness teachers and policy makers um, and and set about kind of describing well creating what would what would we be doing if we impacted sport in this way kind of at all levels what what would we have to do what would it look like um and he pretty much back then he, he described this the programs that we still have running now so there's the mentoring program that i'm involved in i'll talk a bit more about there's coach and athlete development programs workshops there's um a mindfulness course, a mindfulness class for athletes. Um, there was a retreat. We still have this idea of retreats for, for athletes or coaches. Um, and he he hit on this this kind of strategy of this three-part strategy of firstly embodying the change that we want to see within the True Athlete Project, the way that we operate, the way that we are, delivering programs for at all at all levels, but governing bodies and coaches and athletes uh, and then also to influence the sporting sector for a kind of great a greater appreciation of this holistic compassionate approach to sport um, and that vision is just kind of we've grown fairly and we've gone very naturally and and steadily and people have been attracted to it because it's something different and and because it represents something more meaningful it's it's wholly apart from the results, but it does have a, a, an impact on the bottom line of performance. 
um, but it's far more a more humane approach and I think we're seeing more I mean it's coming ever ever more relevant the the tap approach and Sam just saw this a few years before many others he was a real pioneer so yeah. it's been a fantastic journey to be a part of and and this is just the beginning for for tap I'm sure yeah and you already earlier as a part of your own story talked about having this more compassionate approach and and that compassion is a big word for for tap as well and and talking about meaning for example and so how is it being received so it's a little bit countercultural or would you say that the culture of sport or elite professional sport is it also more broadly changing and how you are received now in that context um, no, I, I think it is still countercultural um, because the traditional culture is very much about kind of grit and pushing your way through. And when things are hard, you have mental toughness to kind of just just get yourself through. And, and coaches who kind of bark orders at their at their athletes to to focus and to relax and to to fight harder. Um, yeah. So. It is both that, but we—I mean—in this first, in these years, we've we've attracted people to the to the mission, and we've attracted people who are working in clubs and governing bodies who are much more open to this. So there are definitely lots of people um, out there who are super open and interested in this kind of approach, and who see very quickly that it's um, that this is the way that we we have to take it. Uh, so. In in many ways, it's received incredibly well, and with almost a sigh of relief by lots of the people and lots of the athletes who we presented to. Oh, like, wow, that's great to know that there's another way of doing this. That you can do this with more compassion. Um, but we still, we certainly still butt up against the traditional culture of sport in many in many instances. And I mean. But just in the most part, those are the ones who aren't coming to us, who we're not having conversations with. But there are those as well, the coaches who are part of the programs that we we're operating that that we have we have conversations with them, and as as those conversations continue, I think the barriers get broken down quite quite naturally. It's a very compelling approach, a compelling argument when you when you dig into it. It's just on the surface that people can have might have a problem with the word compassion or love in sport and um, mindfulness. And it sounds to, to those who haven't thought about it much or haven't been introduced to it before, it sounds like it's it's weak or soft, but it's yeah. really not. Yeah. And you already briefly mentioned that the mentoring program is, is part of TAP and that's something that you have been actively involved in developing that. So maybe a few words about what is the vision with, with that specific program and what are your experiences so far? Yeah, thanks for that opportunity to talk about it. Um, so that was that was the role that I kind of came into back in 2016 when I joined TAP was they just started a pilot one pilot relationship of this mentoring program. And I um, I had had an experience of being a mentor for a young kid back when I was when I was an athlete, which was just such a profound, it was a year long relationship. And it was such a profound experience for me. I knew I had this felt experience of the power of mentoring. And then I had all these ideas of what kind of 
and I had these experiences of what I'd learned along my way that I think I just thought, what if we could teach, what if I could have learned this as a, as a kid, as a 17 year old, as a junior, how much suffering and anxiety that could have saved me like this lesson about you don't have to suffer after losing. What if I'd heard that message from somebody that I, that I trusted, respected as an 18 year old, what, what different path might I have been on then? So I yeah I got involved and I started kind of helping shape their their curriculum. We actually added a kind of we have these five modules which so the the, the program is for elite Olympic Paralympic elite level athlete mentors working with aspiring younger younger athletes um, over a year a year long kind of journey together quite quite intense. So they meet up between every one to three weeks for online sessions. And, and talk and there and then there's this curriculum that we've designed around around that classic mentoring there's the there's the that classic big brother big sister kind of relationship but then we have a, a curriculum which is all of those things that we think that a, a young athlete could learn much earlier that, that maybe naturally comes up in a long athletic career but doesn't necessarily and many people drop out long before they hear some of those key messages so we, we set this curriculum out around five modules. So the first module is performance, which is kind of pure sports psychology. Um, then the second module is mindfulness, and that's a, an, an online mindfulness course. Then we have one on identity and values. So exploring that the identity and how important it is to have a rounded identity and not be entirely wrapped up in your sport and, and your the results and ups, ups and downs of that. And exploring your values so that the, the same process that I went through back in 2012. Um, there's a module on community and responsibility. So bringing this back to true athletes kind of training mind and body to be of benefit to their community. This is straight back to kind of the meaning of sport. So we know that kind of to find the most fulfillment and meaning in life, it, you, you generally have to give back, you have to do something for others. So we bring that into the sporting journey as well. And that's a bit of the experience I had mentoring this young kid. It, was, it wasn't to do with my sport, but it was some. It was just some of the most, one of the most powerful experiences of my life was that just being able to give back and do something for, with this guy. And it gave me a whole lot as well. And then the final module is nature and connectedness. And that kind of really summarizes that, highlights that this is a really holistic program. This is, it's not just about, the athlete on on the pitch and in training or the even the person in their community it's about being a a human being a a member of this world and the kind of responsibility we have for our natural environment and the 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 benefits the power that can come from being a bit more connected to the nature around us yeah that's especially exciting to hear that you have this nature aspect of well, as well because i mean this sustainability is really the biggest issues that we are now collectively facing and it would be a whole nother conversation whether sport is contributing to this crisis you know in in various ways and to start talking about these things with young athletes i think that's such a valuable thing to do yeah well you're quite right i mean certainly sport does contribute to the the kind of the climate crisis in all sorts of ways but yeah. um but yeah and we we can't 
we can't look look away. I mean, I think it's part of everybody's responsibility, and especially in a program like this, to to recognise our our responsibility to 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 nature and to kind of to our natural environment. So, um, so that's the that's what the kind of the the program is in a nutshell. It's these mentoring relationships and uh, a curriculum that works around it. We we offer the the mentors training in in being a mentor in kind of mentoring skills but also in our philosophy about these these modules and um filling in other bits of the 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 philosophy like i run a workshop on love and compassion in sport and we have one on gratitude for enhancing performance um and and then the mentees get this kind of get these lessons get this curriculum through through the mentors and so from that one pilot relationship in 2015, we've now, we, we've grown each year and um, we, moved, we went from, from one to seven relationships to four to 17 relationships. And then this current cohort that we have going on this year is 30, it's 68 athletes. So it's 34 relationships across 33 different sports and 10 countries. So it's a global program and it's really spread across Olympic, Paralympic sports, non-Olympic sports. And it's just become an amazing, thriving kind of community. This is one thing that we've, we've noticed is that the, this kind of slightly countercultural, but this language, this evocative, quite emotional, vivid language that TAP uses is it just attracts some of the most wonderful people to the, to the mission. So our mentors and mentees are, just so great and open-minded and just on the same kind of path to try and bring about a more humane compassionate culture and that's really the strength of tap is that the the vision attracts those people who are committed and and really just creative in in going about it so it's been such a, a thrilling ride to see the, the mentoring program grow and and thrive and and seeing all these people attracted to it um, and what they give back. I mean, the, the the messages we get back from both mentors and mentees is just, yeah, it's it's so heartwarming and it's so it's all the all the payment we need. It, that's the other thing to point out is that we've basically been all been volunteers in TAP from from the beginning. Sam is now a, a full time employee, but everyone else is 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 giving their time voluntarily. So. Mm-hmm. It's just this this feedback that we get from the, the people going through these programs that that makes it so worthwhile. And one of the things we know we we hear often is from the mentors that they feel like they're getting more out of the program than the mentees, which is not the case. It's definitely not true because we know these mentees are getting just the time of their lives for a year with a Olympic medalist or a ex professional athlete. Um, but it's. Yeah. The power it speaks to the power of mentoring that both sides it's not just the mentor giving something to the mentee both sides of the relationship get just get a hugely meaningful experience out of it and it's the same as i felt with that my first experience of mentoring that i felt i got just as much out of mentoring a, a young kid as as he did i think it's such an important point what you mentioned about like typically if we think of what makes life meaningful is is making some kind of positive difference around us so life that is fully centered on just me and myself and what i'm doing is is not as meaningful as when you feel that you are you are doing something for 
other people or a cause that transcends yourself. So mm -hmm. I can certainly see that for the mentors as well. This is something that they can feel that, that adds meaning to their involvement in sport. And also hearing, doing interviews with athletes, some of them have maybe struggled a little bit talking about that as an athlete, you were always putting yourself and your own needs like ahead of everybody else. And when they stopped doing sport, then they felt that now I want to do something for other people because my previous years were all only about me and my schedules and my eating and my sleeping. So they had like a switch to a more other oriented way of being. Yeah. And, and there's another nice part of kind of aspect of mentoring is that through that process of, of speaking and running these sessions with a younger athlete at the beginning of their journey, you notice it, you become so aware of all of that kind of development and learning that you've been through that isn't on the surface for you. You just kind of forget that so much of what you go through as an athlete and you almost feel like well, I'm just here as this fully developed athlete almost, but just seeing kind of leading a young athlete through those, some of these thought processes, you remember just how much you've grown, how much you've learned along the way. And that's, that's wonderfully kind of giving as well, reassuring to, to older athletes to be presented with that, how far they've come. Yeah, I think this is a wonderful time to stop for our first part of the conversation. In the second part, we will talking, we'll be talking about the book manuscript that you have recently completed. So very much looking forward to that. And, and thank you for the conversation so far. Great. Thanks, Nora. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.